Good morning, church. Um, my name's Beth, and I'll be um, reading God's word for us this morning. Um, the passage is Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through to 50, and you can find that on page 887 of the Bible. So it's Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through to 50 on page 887 of the church Bible. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, great if it's your first time with us or if you've just joined us in the new year. I'd love to meet you over coffee afterwards. Uh, I want to ask a question. Do you know someone who doesn't think that they're good enough for church? That They don't think they're good enough to come to church. Uh, I think many Wellingtonians uh, would think of themselves as pretty decent people. And so what's keeping them away from church is it's not that they don't think they're good enough. It's just that they're not that interested. They don't think they need God. But for others, they might be keen to come to church, but they're afraid. They're afraid of what others might think of them or that they won't know what to say or or where to sit or who to talk to. Or they're afraid they'll be judged, that they'll stand out because they haven't got it all together. Their life is a mess. And more than that, they're afraid not just of what other people will think, but they're afraid of what God will think if they come to church. 
I've talked to people who are so scared of coming to church that they think that lightning is going to come from heaven and zap them. And they, they joke about it, but you can see there's a real fear there of God's judgment. And so as much as these people might feel intrigued or like it's the right thing to do, they stay away. After all, what would God want with a stuff-up like me? Now, maybe you're here today, and it wasn't easy for you to come this morning. Maybe you've got fears or hesitations, but you came. At least you're going to give it a go. If that's you, can I say, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Because today, we're going to see God's heart for people who feel like they don't belong. God's heart for sinful broken people, the kind of people who religious people, well, they would describe as being far from God, lost, broken. For the start of the year as a church, we're looking at the Jesus I never knew uh, because Jesus turns expectations upside down. So last week we saw Jesus, the party animal. We saw that Jesus isn't a party pooper but he actually offers us abundant and enjoyable life, a life enjoying God's good gifts now and also a wedding feast to look forward to in eternity. And this week, uh, Jesus is going to flip expectations once more when we see that Jesus had dodgy friends. And what we'll see is that because of the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the, the abounding love of God, we're going to see that no one is too far from God. And my hope is that as we look at how Jesus treats this sinful woman in the passage that was read, that, that God would make our hearts more like his and our church more like the church that he wants us to be which when you think about it, is no easy thing, right? See, on the one hand, there are churches who embrace everyone. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, everyone is welcome. Everyone is affirmed and loved and embraced. But what happens in a church like that when someone continues to live a life in clear disobedience to God's word? Are you going to affirm them or God's word at that point? And on the other hand, there are churches who are strong on obeying God and his word. But as soon as someone a little bit different walks in, who might not have life altogether, well, they feel out of place. They feel like an outcast. They feel unworthy and they never stick around long enough to hear the good news of the gospel of God's forgiveness. It's tricky, isn't it? What kind of church does God want us to be? So with that in mind, let's pray, ask God for his help, and we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus turns expectations upside down. And we pray this morning as we look at this compelling story of one of Jesus' dodgy friends, 
shunned by society, be accepted by you, that you would change our hearts, that we might love others as you have loved us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it would be helpful to have that passage in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, great to bring one to church. Uh, we're, we're running out of Bibles. We'll have to buy some more for the, for the pews, for want of a better word. But uh, have that passage in Luke 7 in front of you if you can. Um, this is where we're going to spend most of our time. And here in Luke 7, we meet a woman who the only thing we learn about her is that she was sinful. All we're told is that she's lived a sinful life. And somehow this is public knowledge. Uh, most likely she was an adulteress who was discovered, possibly even a prostitute. And she has the gall to show up at a Pharisee's house, a holy man's house, and crash his dinner party. And then what she does next is even more astounding. Jesus is there. He's reclining at the table, which is how you shared a meal in Jesus' day, lying on your side. And this sinful woman stands behind Jesus at his feet. And she starts weeping. And, and she's so overcome that her tears are dripping down onto Jesus' feet. And then she starts kissing his feet. And then she grabs her hair and starts wiping his feet with her hair. And then she's come prepared. She planned this. She's, she's got a jar of expensive perfume. And she pours it over Jesus' feet. Imagine the scene. Can you? It's such an outlandish thing for someone to do at a dinner party. It doesn't matter which century you live in. This is ridiculous. It's, it's kind of awkward and, and over the top. And, and she's treating Jesus with this utter adoration, but also utter deference. She's treating him like a king, one, one whose feet is worthy of expensive perfume and kisses. And yet she chooses to do this at a dinner party in front of all these guests. And the craziest thing, Jesus doesn't even try and stop her. Which makes his host conclude, well, Jesus can't be from God. Did you see that? Which brings us to the second character here, a skeptical Pharisee. We get his name this time. It's Simon. And Simon has invited Jesus around for a meal. But it's not a warm invitation for an honored guest. No, Simon is trying to suss Jesus out. See, Jesus has been traveling around and teaching people, and supposedly he's been doing miracles and healing people and driving out demons. And so it's Simon's job, as one of the religious leaders, it's Simon's job to work out, is this guy legit? Is he from God? Is he a prophet? Well, he's certainly not behaving like one. No prophet of God would let this woman of disrepute do something like this. If he knew what kind of woman this is, what kind of life she has lived, kissing his feet like that, do you know where that mouth has been, Jesus? It's disgraceful. Which makes Simon conclude 
This man must not be from God. See, for the Jewish people, especially religious leaders like Pharisees, you had to avoid all sorts of practices and things and people. Otherwise, you would become defiled or unclean. According to the Levitical law, there were holy, consecrated things and unclean things. Holy people, unclean people. And if you were ceremonially clean and you touched something unclean, you would become defiled. And so there were all sorts of rituals and sacrifices and and practices to cleanse yourself once again so you could go from being unclean to being clean. And so it's a given if Jesus knew what sort of woman this was, which if he was a prophet, he ought to know that. Well, there's no way he would let her touch him, let alone kiss his feet and wipe them with her hair. He would become defiled and no man of God would let himself voluntarily become defiled, surely. And you see, even though Simon is talking to himself about this, Jesus knows not just her background. Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. And so he answers Simon with a story, a riddle of sorts, a a parable. And it's a simple scenario. It's a parable of two debtors. Both owe money. Uh, They owe uh, different sums, one larger than the other, and the money lender forgives the debts of both. And the question for Simon the Pharisee is, which will love him more in response? And then Jesus turns to the woman and he shows Simon that what this woman is doing for him is not disgusting or shameful. It's an expression of love. And honor. See, even more remarkable than the fact that Jesus allows the sinful woman to do this outlandish thing in front of everyone is what he does for her. See, far from being defiled by this woman, Jesus cancels her debts. He declares her sins, her many sins, forgiven. You can see it there. Uh, It creates a stir in verse 49. The whole room is murmuring about it. Who, Who is this that can forgive sins? And that they're right to ask that question, aren't they? Because sin is not a debt that a man can repay. It's a debt owed to God. Sin is the wrong we have done before God. And so it's a debt only God can forgive. And for this woman, well, you can't just declare her forgiven. Do you know what kind of woman this is? Is there even a sacrifice big enough to cover her many sins? Well, Jesus knows exactly what she's done. He knows her many sins there in verse 47, but he says her many sins have been forgiven. See, the reason this woman showed up to a house where she knew she'd be looked down on because of her past, the reason she wept before Jesus' feet and kissed them and wiped them with her hair and overcome with emotion and adoration and 
recklessly spend all this money on expensive perfume just to pour on someone's feet. The reason she does this outlandish thing, it's because of what Jesus has already done outlandishly for her. He must have come to her in some previous encounter we haven't been shown. But somehow Jesus had shown this woman the compassion and mercy of God. Imagine what that must have been like. In a society where religion is integral to where you stand in the social pecking order, you are the scum, the trash, the shameful outcast, shunned by anyone who mattered, surrendered to live a sinful life. Selling your body to those low enough to use you you for their own temporary enjoyment. Your damaged goods. Worthless. Hopeless. How could anyone ever love you? And God? God doesn't care about you. But then one day... God comes to you. This man of God, this God-man Jesus, he comes to you and he treats you with tenderness and compassion. He shows you true, deep, wholesome love. Not the shameful and empty love of adultery. Not the pretend love you offered passers-by on those lonely nights on the streets. But he comes to you and he offers you true love, a clean slate, forgiveness. Set free from your sinful past to start afresh. That's why this woman is overcome. Her many sins have been forgiven. As Jesus explained, as her great love has shown. For whoever has been forgiven much, We'll love much. But you know, it's not just this woman. Jesus has many dodgy friends. The poor, the needy, the outcasts, scoundrels, traitors like tax collectors, squeezing taxes from their own people for personal gain, prostitutes, all the people you think would be furthest from God were close to Jesus. And you get a clear picture of why Jesus had dodgy friends back a few chapters in Luke chapter 5. So flip back a page or two or a screen slide or two. Flip back to uh, Luke chapter 5 from verse 27, uh, where we see another dinner that Jesus had, and this time it's a dinner party full of his dodgy friends. Luke 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sects complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Do you see why Jesus hung out with dodgy people? Jesus is a doctor. He came to heal the sick. Not those sick with disease, although he did heal many of their diseases. No, the sickness Dr. Jesus came to deal with was our greatest sickness of all, our sin, our rejection of God, our failure to love our maker and our neighbor as we ought. And his favorite patients were those who needed him most, and especially those who knew that. So what about you? Do you know how much you have been forgiven? If you've put your trust in Jesus, your many sins have been forgiven. You have a new identity. You're not defined by your sin anymore. You have a clean slate, a fresh start. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Maybe you can relate to this woman. Maybe you can relate to her before she met Jesus. Even right now. Or at some point in your life. You've turned your back on God one too many times. You don't think there's any hope for you. Do you see what God is saying to you today? If that's you. It's never too late. It's never too late for a sinner to come to Jesus. He will not turn you away. He says, come to me, burdened one. Put down your burdens. Take my yoke on you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Know that I have carried this cross before you. And I will never leave you. Never forsake you. I will never let you down. Know my love that surpasses knowledge. Its width, its breadth, its depth, and it's for you. Do you need to hear just how much Jesus loves you this morning? Let go of trying to live your life without God. Let go of the guilt and shame that's holding you back from coming to him. Come to Jesus. He will welcome you with open arms. Receive his forgiveness. But notice there in verse 32 of chapter 5, Jesus didn't just come to forgive sin, but to call sinners to repentance. Repentance, it means turning away from sin. Starting afresh, turning toward God and his way. See, we're not told what happened to the woman in our story. Was this a truly life-transforming moment for her? Did she repent of her sin and turn and live for Jesus for the rest of her days? Or was this encounter with the love of Jesus just a flash in the pan? A moment of emotional euphoria. Wow, my sin forgiven. But a few months later, was she back on the street 
Jesus, a distant memory, his light fading into the engulfing darkness once more. It's not always a happy ending in the real world, is it? I mean, think about it. Repentance would have been really hard for this woman. If she had been living as a prostitute before she met Jesus, how is she going to get by now? Who is going to trust someone like her enough to put them on, put her on as an employee? How will she deal with those lingering insecurities in her identity as damaged goods? What will she do when she's tempted to go back to her old ways? What happens if she does go back? And the depression and the worthlessness and the shame and the guilt, it's even more now because she tasted what true love and goodness looks like. What will get her through all of that is not becoming a better person. It's trusting in her God. He will guide her in paths of righteousness. He will provide all her needs. He will help her find a community of saved sinners just like her to walk with her through all these struggles. I hope I get to meet this woman in glory. I'd love to hear the rest of her story, the story of God's transforming grace at work through the ups and downs of her life. Will that be your story? Rosaria Butterfield tells her story in her autobiography, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I highly recommend this book. Uh, Rosaria was in a committed lesbian relationship. She was a campaigner for the LGBTQI community. And in particular, she was an academic researcher and opponent of the evangelical Christianity movement in America. But she encountered the genuine love of Jesus through a family who didn't try and shove the Bible down her throat, but loved her as she was. They welcomed her into her house to their dinner table. She initially came out of curiosity and for research purposes. And they put up with her scoffing and loathing. They showed genuine care and affection for her. And gently, over time, they shared with her the gospel of grace. The gospel that's at the heart of that word, evangelical. Do you know that? Good news. That's what evangelical means. See, when you see Jesus' heart for people, doesn't it make you want to be like that family? Doesn't it make you want to love people the way God loves them? To put aside our prejudices, our moral superiority, our priorities, our pride, and just love people where they're at. Because for some of us, Let's face it, our heart is more like Simon the Pharisee than the woman in this story, isn't it? Do you struggle 
to love like Jesus loved? Do you struggle to love God like this woman loved Jesus? Well, ask yourself deep down in your heart, ask yourself just how big is my debt? How big is the debt that Jesus cancelled for me? See, if you consider yourself forgiven little, then like the second man in the parable with the smaller debt, like Simon the Pharisee, you'll love little, won't you? See, if you've been around church for any length of time, you'll know that Jesus is Jesus' forgiveness is what we all need. You'll know that we're not perfect. And yeah, I'm a pretty decent guy and I haven't loved God as well as I could. I don't love others perfectly, but I'm not like one of those people whose life needs radical transformation. No, Jesus only had to forgive me a little bit. When I look at my heart and see how far my love is, from the love expressed by this woman. My love for God. Weeping, kissing his feet, wiping them with her hair. It's because deep down, I just don't have any idea how big my debt was that Jesus canceled. We minimize our sin, don't we? The horror of it, the wrath that it deserves. And so if you ever feel tempted to look down on others, We need to remind ourselves of one thing. See, if Jesus willingly gave up his heavenly throne, he came into the dusty, broken world and willingly went to the cross and died a horrible death and faced the wrath of God to deal with your inadequacy, with my mess, my selfishness, my godlessness, my sin. If he really did that, if I really believe he did that for me, well, what right do I have to look down on anyone else? More than that, far from looking down on others, the further someone is from God, the more we should feel this compassion towards them. Because if that's what Jesus was willing to do for me, well, would I at least be willing to talk to this person? Maybe even befriend them, have them around for a meal, invite them to church or the life course, share the good news of Jesus with them so that they might be able to receive the same forgiveness that I have received. So are you ever tempted to write someone off? Do you know what a write-off is? If you've ever crashed a vehicle significantly, you'll know what a write-off is. Uh, Basically, a write-off is a car that, is beyond repair. Claire and my first car was technically a write-off. So we got it for free. It was an old Toyota Corolla and it had about 300,000 Ks on it. The engine was fine, classic Corolla, but it had been in an accident. The back was all smashed up and we used to hold the boot closed with one of those Oki straps. Do you call them Oki straps in New Zealand? I've been in Australia too long. Bungee cord. Like, yeah, bungee cord. Okay, I'm getting some nods. Uh, somehow we, we found a, a, a mechanic who somehow passed the registration every year. Um, 
I don't know if he's registered anymore. But um, the car was a write-off. But who are the people you've written off? There's no way they could become a Christian. Maybe you can think of people now in your life. Whenever you're tempted to think that way about someone, think to yourself, isn't it great that God didn't think of me as a write-off? See, no one's beyond saving. Jesus came to call sinners. Sinners like you and me. So don't write anyone off because Jesus hasn't. See, as we begin a new year, let's think of church not as a place where I can hang out with my nice Christian friends who share my worldview and and help me deal with the fact that I'm surrounded by all these pagans in Wellington. No, instead, let's think of our church as a hospital for sinners, a place where anyone is welcome. No matter how broken, how sinful, how far from God they might think they are, anyone is welcome here to come and find healing and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Let's think of our church as a place where Jesus' dodgy friends gather together. The place where the good doctor calls sinners to repentance. And a place where we can be real with one another about our struggles, about not having our lives all together. See, we're all works in progress, aren't we? As we start our community groups in the next few weeks, why not open up a little? Be a little bit more vulnerable about what's really going on in your heart. And as others open up, it encourages everyone to open up. And when people do that, don't judge. Be very slow to judge, quick to forgive. As we realize we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. Everyone as much as the other. How about we pray that that would be our church and our heart? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the deep, deep love of Jesus. That no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've wandered, you will not turn away a contrite heart. We pray for any here this morning or hearing these words on, online who feel far from you, who feel unworthy to come to you. Lord, draw them to the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. Forgive their sin, Lord. Forgive our sin and help us to turn around, to repent of our sin and turn towards you. And when we fail, Lord, remind us of Jesus, his love, his sacrifice for us. And help us to help one another to live for you, to put off sin and to encourage one another in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite uh, the musicians up. And there are so many wonderful songs about the good news of forgiveness found in Jesus. But uh, this is a particularly uh, moving song. Uh, 
which calls the broken one to take heart. And so whether you're broken or you want to encourage those around you, we're all broken in some ways. So let's uh, sing broken one, take heart. Let's sing.